0: Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
1: Good morning! Diary! It's time to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> it's five, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on ninety-five-seven.
2: Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stevie Life for on the pregame show. 95.7 the game, leading up until 6 o'clock, because the morning roast will take you until 10. Today, it's going to be a variety show. Going to be a variety show. I want to talk about the Giants and their win over the Cardinals last night, because finally, we have some instances that happened within the game that aren't necessarily talking just about X's and O's, if you know what I mean. Not just talking about, oh, they should have made this move. I'm glad Kapler made this move. Kapler's pulling all the right strings. No, we had a little drama in yesterday's game, and it was early in the ball game, and it was involving Mike Yastrzemski and Johan Oviedo. And I want to uh, get to what Mike Yastrzemski had to say After the game, regarding that incident with Oviedo, where he's essentially telling him to shut the F up when Yastrzemski was on second base. So, I do want to get into that. Derek Carr recruiting Devontae Adams from the Packers. I heard that yesterday. He was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Wanted to share some thoughts on that. The home run derby, the Battles were announced. We already knew who the hitters were going to be, but they officially uh, announced the matchups, and I want to get into those as well, and as well as Bob Myers. He spoke yesterday, and I think there's something that's getting lost in all of this Warrior conversation about the future for them the next couple of years and everything surrounding the Warriors so there's a lot that I don't want to get into today but let's start off with the Giants and before we get to the Yastremski drama shout out to Darren Ruff man that one is into deep center way back there still going
3: Adios, Pelota! a two-run homer
2: To two giants, things were getting a little dicey in the top of the eighth when Tyler Rogers ended up replacing Alex Wood, and Alex Wood was fantastic yesterday. Time and time again, I've, I've said on this show any time that Alex Wood is on, there is—I'm not going to say no other pitcher in baseball who I wouldn't want to face—but when Alex Wood is on, in the way that he uses his windup, how quick. He comes out of it. Because you don't know as a hitter. As a hitter, you just don't know. Especially with the type of movement that he has on his pitches. He's He's more of a sinker-slider type of guy. And he went seven strong, gave up three hits, six strikeouts, couple of walks, one earned run. And that one earned run, of course, uh, coming off the bat of Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, geez, when they're both hitting back-to-back. <laughs> and they only account for the two. They're the only ones who account for the two RBIs on the Giants. Of course, that happens. But Alex Wood was dealing yesterday. These guys didn't know what to do besides Goldschmidt. Really, the two, three, four hitters overall were the only ones who did any sort of damage. But other than that, they weren't really able uh, able to get on base. They weren't able to read what he was doing. And much like Johnny Cueto, anytime Alex Wood is working out of the windup, that's where he's best, because that's where he throws off the timing of hitters. Yet another great start. His ERA right now is at 3.67, as that was his last start before going into the all-star break. But Darren Ruff, he came in for Lamont Wade. Now, Lamont Wade ended up suffering a, a hand strain. Now, we don't know when... Uh, We don't know if he's going to be put on the 10-day IL, what's going to be happening with him, but yet another guy goes down and another one replaces him. But it did make me wonder here. It did make me wonder. As we head into the trade deadline, that's, that's what the talk is, right? When, when we're done with the All-Star break, when we start to get into the second half, trade deadline talks are going to escalate even more than they already did. And George Contos, actually, was on Damon Ratto and Kolsky, and he made me think about this after seeing that Darren Ruff home run. But here's George Contos on DRK yesterday, talking about what type of... Of that they need to add at the deadline.
1: I think you could probably do a, a power bat if that was available. I think you could absolutely add another starter to slide in uh, behind or somewhere in the mix with Desclafani and with Gaussman, and then I think you probably add one one more bullpen guy, one late inning, seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy that can kind of intertwine with McGee and Rogers and whoever else they trust in the back end of that bullpen. But you know, we we've seen it many many times, especially with the Giants teams that I was on. Is uh, you know, starting pitching, good defense, and then that bullpen late in the season, those are the those are the things that kind of get you there with timely hitting. So I think those would be the three places where I could see them, if they saw a deal that made sense, going after somebody.
2: And if they want to pick up some sort of power bat, I just don't think that anyone on this roster, with exception to Crawford and... Buster Posey, and hell, I'll even, in an odd way, I'll even put Steven Duggar in that conversation, even though he was 0-4 yesterday, missing out on a huge opportunity with the bases loaded early on in the first inning. But I wouldn't be surprised if possibly Darren Ruff is the type of guy that other teams would want. Someone who is incredibly cheap, a power bat, who can give you a little bit of defense here and there, but can be brought in as a pinch hitter. I think Darren Ruff could be used on a lot of teams. I wouldn't be surprised if they could get something back for him, but that home run that he hit last night was a monster. A monster home run. Now going into this game, here's what Really wanted. Here's what I really wanted to talk about is they won five to two yesterday, uh, taking the second uh, or the excuse me, taking the third of the three game series with the Cardinals. But Johan Aviedo, he was the pitcher yesterday for the Cardinals. Here are his career stats to date after yesterday. He is currently 0 and 8 with a 5.21 ERA and in his 16 games started. He's got over a 5 ERA. That's wild. That's terrible. That's not good. I don't know how he still manages to keep a job within the Cardinals organization. It's just because they lack depth at pitcher. But the dude is 23 years old. He's a big guy. He's 6'5", 245. So would I say it to his face? Eh, Probably not. 6'5", 245. That's a big dude at 23 years old. But there was a moment early on in the game because he didn't have any location his location was way off he he didn't he he wasn't able to find a find the strike zone at all getting guys on base early i mean we, he was going in there with an 0 for 4 uh, record with a 5.14 ERA in yesterday's game gives up two walks right away and we had a moment with Mike Yastrzemski. When Mike Yastrzemski ended up getting on base with a double, this was in the bottom of the second, and it was a, it was a good at-bat, it was an RBI double, Kurt Casale came in after Kurt Casale somehow managed to stretch his hit into left field into a double. Uh, whew, if that throw was online, he probably would have been thrown out, but that's neither here nor there. They got the run either way. But Mike Yastrzemski on second, there was a moment where him and Oviedo were exchanging some words and Oviedo you could clearly see it doesn't you, you don't have to be an expert lip reader in order to see what Oviedo was saying he was saying shut the f up shut the f up shut the f up shut the f up that's all he was saying and Mike Stremski well his his lips weren't really moving too much cuz so you couldn't really tell what he was saying but he was pointing at him essentially saying hey go back to pitching stop paying attention to me and Oviedo told Cardinals media that he thought Yastrzemski was stealing signs at second base. Wilmer Flores was at bat at the time, and he thought he was trying to steal signs. Well, here's what Mike Yastrzemski had to say after the game when he was told that Oviedo told the media he was stealing signs.
4: Yeah, I I think, I mean, that's part of the game is, is the mental side, right? So any advantage that we can take over you know, whether teams are paranoid, whether they think we're doing something that we're not, it's just a way to hopefully get a distraction off the hitter and to get it onto the base runner so they can't make their pitches. So um, yeah, I definitely think that he had a lot of intent thinking that I thought that I was relaying signs, which I wasn't. I had nothing. They changed their signs four or five times. I had zero clue what was coming. Um, Even when I, you know, thought I could have possibly known what was coming, it was honestly the, the opposite pitch. So it was just trying to kind of keep the game going and keep the focus in the right direction.
2: For one thing, I can understand why Oviedo is sinking that, but your location was way off. That's not the reason that they were getting to you early on in the game. It was because you couldn't locate a fastball when you're throwing it 95 miles an hour right down the pipe. (laughs) Like, like, like there's the extent of it. I know you're trying to find an excuse, Oviedo, but here's the other thing. Know your catcher. Know that you got Yadier Molina at the backstop. Know that you got one of the best catchers that we have seen in this past decade, shoot, decade and a half. You're not going to be able to steal signs from that dude. He is way too smart in order for a runner to steal signs from Yachty. So know your catcher, Oviedo. But I did like what Yastrzewski had to say because he was being big about it. He, He just said, look, I wasn't stealing signs. He may have thought I was, but I wasn't trying to do it. But he was playing a game with them, and here's what Yastrzemski uh, had to say as he continued with the media.
4: After the bases loaded, I knew that they had, cha- they had changed signs at least three times while I was on second base. Um, so I figured that they thought that I was doing it then, so I was just like, I'm just going to kind of keep rolling with it. It's like uh, seeing a little little opening into, into a window and trying to climb through it when you can't really do it and you get a big hole and have an opportunity to try and get the focus on you instead of the hitter. Um, You know, it was something that I thought was going to be something to to take advantage of, whether it's just kind of moving around or, you know, changing whatever you're doing out there to make them think one thing and, you know, when in in turn it's not the case. So, um, you know, it's just a a mental game out there and it's a little bit of cat and mouse that we all play from time to time.
2: Love that. Love hearing that. Something happened earlier on in the game, using that to his advantage. Yastrzewski, low-key sly guy. Sly Guy Mike. That's what, his new, that's what his new nickname is. Sly Guy Mike. I just made that up. Doesn't need to stick. It only needs to be said here at 5.12 in the morning. But uh, you could tell that he wasn't trying to start anything, and Oviedo was just frustrated at that point. Now, granted, I thought the Giants actually could have got to him a little more. They only managed to uh, get uh, uh, two earned runs off of him in this game as he walked four and only struck out three. And, you know, the runners in scoring position, those numbers weren't as bad. They were, uh, uh, excuse me, they were just as bad as yesterday. They were three for 15 with runners in scoring position, and that is continuing to be a problem. If Ruff didn't get that two-run homer in the eighth, I think the ninth inning could have gotten a little more dicey because you ended up bringing in Jake McGee, and you never know what can happen with Jake McGee when you bring him in with a one-run lead. The pitcher's mindset is completely different when you bring him in for a one-run lead as opposed to a three-run lead. But nevertheless, the Giants ended up getting the win. They avoid the sweep, and luckily... (laughs) Oh, man. Luckily, somehow the Marlins managed to beat the Dodgers and take two of three. Oh, gosh. gosh. I can't believe they actually did that. So the Giants got a win when the Dodgers got a loss, and they gained a game on them as well uh, as the Padres, too. So now the Dodgers are one and a half back. The Padres are four and a half back. Then I'm not even going to pay attention to the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. But that was a big win that they got yesterday, one that was needed as they moved to 54-32 on the season. All right. Coming up next, 888-957-9570. That is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. The home run derby rosters were announced. I want to go through those matchups and want to go top to bottom, or rather bottom to top, the one that I'm least looking forward to compared to the one that I'm most looking forward to. Plus, there were a couple of home run calls yesterday that I want to play for you. One of them being great, the other one being hilarious. We'll get to all that in the next segment. 8 957 9570 It's a home run segment on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game.
1: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
2: Good morning, everyone. Stephen Lightford in with you. 95.7 game. This is the pregame show. If you are just tuning in to your car for the 95.7 for the first time at 519 in the morning, welcome. This is a family here on the pregame show. There's not many people who are awake at 520 in the morning. So if you're here, you're family. Speaking of which, has anyone seen these Vin Diesel memes that have been popping up? Everything that's surrounding Fast uh, Fast 9, F9, whatever it's called. There's so many of them now. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen any past uh, Fast and Furious. So there, there's what? The Fast and Furious. Then there's Too Fast, Too Furious. There's Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Then there's Fast and Furious. I stopped watching after that. Apparently the fifth one's really good. Six, seven, and eight. Also pretty good, but, you know, depends on what kind of movies you like. <laughs> and they came out with a ninth one. And then there's also, what, Hobbs and Shaw. But there's all these family memes with Vin Diesel that have been coming out. They are hilarious. The internet sometimes can be great. Most times, awful. Most times, awful. Sometimes can be great. Um, so the home run derby brackets were announced yesterday, and me being, you know, a home run type of guy, I mean, you know, 545 on Friday... We do Langford's long balls where I go through my five favorite home runs of the week. And normally I don't play a lot of random home run highlights during the week. Because I save them till Friday. But I had to get them in now. Because there were a couple yesterday that I heard which were unbelievable. One of them being great. The other one, hilarious. But the home run derby brackets were announced yesterday. So you got Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto. You got Salvador Perez versus Pete Alonso. You got Joey Gallo versus Trevor Story. Then you got Matt Olson versus Trey Mancini. And the way that I am going to rank these, the fourth That I'm least excited about, the one that I'm not really going to be paying attention to, because I enjoy the home run derby. A lot of people don't like it. Look, I'm there for, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm. What's the saying? I'm not, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Even though I'm sitting in front of my TV, like what else am I going to do besides watch the home run derby? I'm sitting on my butt. No matter how long it lasts, I could complain the entire time, but in the end, I'm going to watch it regardless. But number four, the least excited that I am for this one, Salvador Perez versus Pete Alonso. I'm excited to see Pete Alonso. Not really sure how I feel about Perez being in this situation. Perez from the Royals. We know him very well. Back when the Giants won last time in 2014, Perez was one of uh, the better players on the Royals, catcher for the team. And we know he got the game-winning hit over the Yays earlier on in that uh, in that playoff in the wild card game. But there's not much intrigue for me there as far as him being a batting practice type of hitter. Yeah, that when, whenever we talk about you know the dunk contest as well as the home run derby, the dunk contest, I'm not really into the guys who are power dunkers. You know when when I saw Dwight Howard a couple of years ago join it, people were intrigued, but I was just like ah. You know, whatever, And then he ended up actually impressing. But the power dunkers don't do much for me in the dunk contest. The guys who are able to hit home runs within the game off of 95-mile-an-hour pitching as opposed to batting practice, that, that doesn't really strike much intrigue for me. And I don't know if Perez is that guy. I know Alonzo's that guy. I know Alonzo's that guy. The dude's impressive. But I don't know if Perez is that guy. So that's my number four. My number three would be Joey Gallo versus Trevor Story. We've seen Trevor Story before. Y- you know, he's a good, young shortstop, underrated shortstop, probably going to be dealt at the deadline, could be an A in the future. <laughs> you, you know, he you, you, you could be. But, you know, reports are saying that, you know, it might not happen. But you never know in these situations. But he's going up against Joey Gallo. And Joey Gallo, he's exciting, but I'm tired of Joey Gallo. I, I think that Joey Gallo has represented a sector of baseball which has gotten fans to stop watching, which is, I'm going to hit 190, but I'm also going to hit 35 to 40 home runs in a season. And it may help the Rangers, you know, it may win you some ball games, but... I do think that a lot of players have looked at Gallo these past few years and said, "Hey, we're going to go by this template where this dude is just a power hitter who's not even going to bat 220, and somehow we're still going to put him in the lineup." He's actually ranked uh, the number two seed here uh, within the uh, within the home run derby. So Joey Gallo versus Trevor Story, not much intrigue for me. Matt Olson versus Trey Mancini. Now this is number two for me. Matt Olson, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing this. Very interested. I want to know how he is being a batting practice type of guy. Because we've we've seen him, but we've all seen him here. We know that he is one of the most underrated, underappreciated first baseman in this game. Not only with what he can do with the bat, the fact that he can hit for an average, the fact that he can hit home runs, can hit with power, and does it in clutch situations. But what he does with the glove, too? What he does at first base. And, you know, you spoke to the media last year, and he said he likes it that way. He likes the fact that he's overlooked in these situations. But I think him going up against Trey Mancini, Trey Mancini with a ton of power, 29 years old from the Baltimore Orioles, I think that that's going to be a fun matchup to watch within the home run derby. But number one for me, is going to be Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto. And I went into this season saying before it started that Juan Soto, if there's going to be one guy in Major League Baseball who I could watch every at-bat, take away anyone else, and I can only watch one player's at-bats for the entire season, it would be Soto. Because it's the way he works the count, the way that he plays mind games with the pitcher— you know, whenever whenever a pitcher's behind in the count on him, just watch the way he stares at him, does the little shuffle. I mean, I remember uh, uh, Kruko was getting very frustrated with it when the Giants were playing the Nationals earlier on in the year. And then the post-game show, I remember, was talking about a, a bunch of mess about it, too. But I personally like it. Brings a lot of intrigue, although he does not have that many home runs on the season. Not enough to warrant a home run derby appearance. But... You got to look at these other players and whether they want to participate or not. So Juan Soto going up against Shohei Ohtani. And Shohei Ohtani has officially taken that mantle of guys who I would watch or the one player I would watch every at-bat for and subtract everyone else. Because Shohei Ohtani has been on an absolute roll. So how it goes is... Salvador Perez versus Pete Alonso, that's my number four. Number three, Joey Gallo versus Trevor Story. Number two, Matt Olson versus Trey Mancini. Then number one, Shohei Ohtani versus Juan Soto. I think it's going to be a very entertaining home run derby. But speaking of which, Shohei Ohtani, he broke the record for the most home runs hit by a Japanese-born player. He hit Number 32 yesterday, but what I want to go through are the home run calls, because we had one with Shohei Otani and Matt Vaskersian, and we had one happen with the radio announcer for the New York Yankees, long-time radio announcer John Sterling. So I want to play these for you and juxtapose these, because it was a really cool moment that happened yesterday for Shohei Otani. And Matt Vaskersian, you know him, you love him, Bay Area guy. He was the play-by-play guy with A-Rod and, uh, and Jessica Mendoza at one point with ESPN on Sunday Night Baseball. And if you've ever heard Vaskersian, he gets excited. He gets very excited. And a lot of people... Play that game of, well, he's biased toward this team, he's biased toward that team, especially toward the New York Yankees whenever they be playing on Sunday night baseball. But Vascursion just gets excited. But now that he's the play by play guy for the LA Angels and he can play the homer a little bit, it has been fun watching these Otani home runs and hearing Matt Vascursian on the call. Listen to this. This was Otani hitting number thirty two yesterday.
3: The next two two home. Oh,
1: There's no one like him. You foul it off your front foot, you foul one off your back knee, and what do you do? He said, you do Yo, have to take that little casual jog, and he rockets that one out.
2: It's amazing. It's amazing. 32 home runs off the year for Shohei Otani, and that's the most for a Japanese board player ever. And this dude broke Hideki Matsui's record, and he's done it in the first half. <laughs> He's done it in the first half of the season. We still have quite a few more games to go. Otani is on a roll, and he's just been doing it time and time again. And yesterday, you know, the cut was about 50 seconds long, and the commentator was right to point this out, the analyst, but he pitched and hit yesterday and pitched well. You know, take away that game that he had um, nationally you know, where he gave up seven earned runs and he only ended up getting one at-bat, but he just gets home runs, and that's it. Home runs, home runs, home runs, while also hitting for average, too. The dude is an absolute stud. He's hitting 279 on the year, 32 home runs, 69 RBIs, nice, (laughs) 36 walks, struck out 94 times, whew, Shohei Otani, he is on fire. But then... There was another home run call I heard yesterday because hearing Matt Faskersen and the excitement in his voice, I mean, whew, this dude, it's like you can play the homer now on play-by-play. It's fantastic. But John Sterling, he is the radio play-by-play guy for the Yankees. I'm not even going to give you any context besides there was a judge home run, an Aaron judge home run that was on the TV at the time that this call was made. There is judge.
3: Man, the breaking ball is hit in the air to yep. deep left. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Unfortunately, yep. that was a replay of the home run. But it was a good replay. Hmm. Hey, well, I'm sorry. It's on the monitor. Boy, what was I
2: supposed to do? This is a great way to do a game, isn't it? Yep. Oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Sean Sterling had no idea that it was even a replay. Here's Judge.
3: Man, the breaking ball is hit in the air to deep left. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Unfortunately, that was a replay of the home run. But it was a good replay. Hmm. Hey, I'm sorry. It's on the monitor. What what, what what was I supposed to
2: do? This is a great way to do a game, isn't it? Yep. I do have to say, I'm surprised this hasn't happened more. I can't remember an instance where this has happened, where the play-by-play guy has accidentally called the home run of a replay. <laughs> it was funny because they showed it, and then they just cut straight to a shot of Judge running around third. It's like, wow, that was the quickest rounding of the bases that you've ever seen. Quicker than Adam Rosales, dare I say. But no, it was a replay, and Aaron Judge was still in the batter's box as the Yankees were up 5-1 to one yesterday. But I'm surprised it hasn't happened more. I'm surprised it hasn't happened more. And from the 415, I don't care how you argue it, 279 is not hitting for average. The only way I'd argue it is today's MLB, today's Major League Baseball. You just got to go with the times right now. I get where you're coming from. I do, because normally you want to go over 300. What Buster Posey's doing is hitting for average. But when you're hitting 279 and you're hitting it with that much power, it, it, you know, it, I'd consider it that. But you clearly don't care how I argue it, so whatever. Whatever. Four one five, you have an opinion on Derek Carr because I'm about to talk about him coming up next. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Derek Carr made some comments yesterday uh, about Devontae Adams that I want to get into. Plus, Bob Myers. He was on the Athletic NBA show, and I want to get to what he had to say as well, Warriors president of Basketball Ops. So we got a fun final half hour for you. Steven Lightford, on the pregame show. 95.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo. They are so. Let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries, so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum ten dollars per order. Additional terms apply.
2: I'm seven. The game.
1: Now back to the pregame show on 95 7 The Game. Here's
2: Stephen Langford. I was going to come in here and just talk the entire hour about the Euro semi final between England and Denmark yesterday. As England got the 2 1 win in extra time? Now, granted, I could go on about how I just don't understand replay. and You know, they recently put replay within soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, and there was a penalty kick yesterday for England late in the game to give them the 2-1 lead, which, quite frankly, shouldn't have been a penalty kick, and they put it up to VAR, they put it up to review, and they still called it, so I think sports are just in trouble when it comes to the review, because it has been nothing but a mess, and you know what I say to it, you know what I say, take it all away, take... Take all the replays away. We don't need it. Just let the umpires make the mistakes. We are human. This is a human game. Let the mistakes happen. And if it costs a team or a player some sort of accolade, fine. So be it. Then we'll look back on it, and we will laugh at that specific human. But now it's just, I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I was going to say here, I was going to say, you know, I would spend the entire hour talking about it, but you know what? I'm a man of the people. I do what the people want. And I know that you don't want to hear me spew on about that stuff for an hour. So, uh, very entertaining, though, in England and Italy. Going to face off on Sunday at noon. From the 510, before I get to Derek Carr and what he had to say on the Chris Collinsworth podcast yesterday, because whenever I hear this dude talk, I'm just like. Wow, you're really certain of your future. Uh, But from the 510, imagine if Otani had Trout with him in a lineup. This year's MVP with every other year's MVP. I don't think we've seen them both together for a full season. You are correct. And we've seen them together from time to time, but we haven't seen Trout with this Otani. This Otani, who is having fun playing baseball, but not only having fun, but dominating while he's having fun. Why do the Angels get all the fun players? Why the Angels? You know, the Angels who never make the playoffs, who always try and sort out their lineup. You know, they pay Anthony Rendon the big money, they got Mike Trout, they got Shoei Otani but they never try and fix their rotation. They never get that starting five sorted out. They never really have that great of a bullpen. Why do the Angels get all the fun players? You know, why does that happen? And, it's, and and you know it's, what's the it's it's great to see during the regular season because quite frankly Shohei Otani has just been a breath of fresh air. He's the type of guy that you want to watch every day. And I think he's overshadowed what guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. are doing because they've been fantastic as well. But the Angels' forty-four and forty-two record, you're going to need a better one than that to at least compete with the A's and the Astros within the AL within the AL West. For the 707, who's Mike Trout? <laughs> That's what Shohei Ohtani does. That's the effect that he had this year. Is Shohei has managed to make you forget that, hey, Trout had a serious injury, and he hasn't been in for a majority of the season. Some people remember here and there, but Ohtani's made you forget about that, and I, I agree with you, uh, 510. Imagine if Ohtani had Trout with him in the lineup. And I did mention that Ohtani was batting 279 on that on the year and I mentioned that to me with the way that he's hitting 32 home runs, 69 RBIs, breaking the record set by a Japanese born player for the most home runs, he broke Hideki Matsui's record and he did it all in the first half already. But I said that 279 is hitting for average based on those types of power numbers in today's baseball. He's not Joey Gallo where he's hitting 200. So the 415 hit me up and said, I don't care how you argue it, 279 is not hitting for average. So I sarcastically said, going into break, hey, do you have any thoughts on Derek Carr too? Cause that's what I'm going to talk about next, and then the four one five continued. And I love you for this. Yes, I do. He looks best in his G jacket. He sucks at football. Four one five continue to text in every single day because I, I went to commercial break and I saw that. And, you know, we're about two minutes into the commercial, and I looked at it and I laughed. I laughed. I'm the only one in the room right now. You got Bonte and Butcher Boy and John Curley, who seems just stressed right now. I don't know what's happening with John Curley. He's holding the keyboard. Always stressed. He's holding the keyboard. It, what are you doing? You all right? My goodness. But anyway, I was laughing back here. I'm the only one back here in the studio. And I was laughing because that, that that cracked me up when you said, yes, he does. He looks best in his G jacket. He sucks at football. And the reason why I asked about Derek Carr is because he was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, along with uh, uh, who hosts it with Richard Sherman. And I've listened to this podcast before. I don't know how I feel about Chris Collinsworth being the main podcast guy. You know, he's good as an analyst, but hearing him talk time and time again Hogging all the questions because it is his podcast. It's the name on his podcast, but I wouldn't really listen to it every day. I, I actually, I really like Chris Collinsworth. I tend to learn a lot on Sunday Night Football whenever I'm watching it because he sees things that we don't see with the naked eye as just a normal football fan who didn't play at the pro level. So I do like what he does. But him being on the podcast, eh. Whatever, but Derek Carr was on their podcast, and he talked about Devonte Adams. And here's what Derek Carr had to say regarding Devonte Adams: You
1: know, he's one of my best friends. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm gonna full court press the guy when he's a free agent. Like, there's no doubt. I'm offering whatever I got to offer. I'll buy him a car. Buy whatever I gotta do. I'm off for that, man. And because I know he'd fit in great with the receivers that we have here, uh, I'm allowed to say those things. Our organization isn't, you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think he's one of the best. He's the best receiver in the NFL. So, all and, and I, honestly, I'm focused on trying to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, and hopefully, he's in it so I can beat his butt too, you know. And uh, you know that's the plan, and then recruit him over to the dark side a little bit.
2: I, I, I love the honesty with Carr because, you know, they played at Fresno State and Derek Carr was just an absolute monster uh, coming out of Fresno State when he was drafted in 2014 in the second round. But Devontae Adams is a free agent after this season. But after this season, Derek Carr's got one more year left on his deal. One more year left on his deal. And there's no dead cap money involved next season. So they could essentially just cut him and there'd be no harm, no foul when it comes to the salary cap. If they do keep him on the roster, he's going to be worth just under $20 million. The official numbers are nineteen point eight, so he's going to be worth uh, about 19 to $20 million next year. But if you cut him, you're just done. And I like the confidence, but this year is the make or break year to me for Carr. It is. He has eclipsed 4,000 yards passing. Ever since John Gruden became the head coach, 68 percent completion percentage in 2018, 70 percent in 2019, then 67 percent last year, and they've really been trying to figure figure out their wide receiver uh, the situation. You know, Henry Ruggs last year was a little bit of a disappointment. I do think that there are things that he can work on. Uh, Ted Nguyen wrote a great breakdown on the athletic, uh, talking about how he needs to get off of his release better whenever, uh, whenever the corners impress man and he needs to get off him a little, uh, a little more, make his move a little later as opposed to doing it earlier so the cornerback can read what he's actually doing. I do think those are things that Henry Ruggs can work on and that he can get better at. But heading into his age 30 season, Derek Carr, the only issue is you've eclipsed 4,000 yards passing, which is great, which is great. 19 touchdowns in 2018, 21 in 2019, then 27 last year compared to nine interceptions. He was very accurate with the ball. And, you know, I thought along with Nelson Aguilar, he he was damn good last season. But in the end... An 8-8 eight eight season is an 8-8 eight and eight season. And last year, you could look at the defense. And quite frankly, not even just last year. You could look at the defense for the past... I'm going to just use my age. 28 years as an issue with the Raiders, except for that one time where they made the Super Bowl. But other than that, you can look at the defense as the problem. And not enough people do, in my opinion. We're always focusing on the offense. And that's why I've given Derek Carr a pass. That's why I've given him a pass. But this year, there is... No excuse. You got Darren Waller, who has established himself as a top three tight end in the NFL. You got Henry Ruggs going into his second year, supposed to make a jump, and the quarterback is supposed to help him with that. You know, you got other receivers on this uh, on this roster. You got Brian Edwards, another guy who could possibly make an impact. But it's going to be up to Derek Carr this year, and I think that the record that you're going to be seeing at the end of next season is, it's going to reflect on the quarterback. So I'd be surprised at all if by the time Devontae Adams is a free agent, which is after this season, I'd be surprised if Derek Carr is on this team in 2022 if they don't manage to make it to the playoffs, let alone the Super Bowl, as he has aspirations there. Because you're competing with the Chiefs. You're competing with the Chiefs. You're you're competing with the best team in football, with the best quarterback in football. Now, everyone's calling the Buccaneers the best team in football, and rightfully so, but, you know, I mean, is is Tom Brady going to get that type of protection that he got in the Super Bowl every single game? Probably not. I do think you're going to see more of second half versus the Packers type of Tom Brady where he's just flailing the ball, not able to get any distance on it at all, as opposed to the Tom Brady that you saw in the Super Bowl, which is what everyone uh, everyone is judging. But, ultimately... When Derek Carr says that sort of stuff, he just has so much confidence, and I love that. But also, he just doesn't seem to—he never seems nervous about the fact that, hey, this could be my last season. Like, he's confident that Devontae Adams is going to be a Raider. I don't see it happening. I'd love to see it because Devontae Adams is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL you know with the size and the speed he was hurt for a little bit last year and then you ended up having uh, to rely on what alan Lazard who, who who I'm I'm totally blanking on any of these names that you ended up adding in fantasy football just because you're like oh Devonte Adams is out that means Aaron Rodgers is going to be going to the next man up and then you ended up regretting it uh but man I'm I'm excited I'm excited for the football season. I think the Raiders can be a good team. We'll see what their def- what's going to happen with their defense because I do think John Gruden hiring Paul Gunther was just a huge mistake. If you heard any of the linebackers talk about Gunther, Will Compton being one of them, who does his podcast with Taylor Luan, he said Paul Gunther was just switching up communication signals every single week, jumbling that defense. No one knew what to do on defense when Paul Gunther was a defensive coordinator. So with Gus Bradley there... You know, you add Yannick Ngakwe, you add Quentin Jefferson, you add a couple of guys to that line along with Max Crosby. We'll see what happens with the linebackers. Corey Littleton, he needs to improve next season. Needs to. His missed tackle percentage was just as high as anyone else on the team last season besides, you know, besides uh, besides my man, uh, oh my goodness, why am I blanking? Besides my man Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett was missing a lot of tackles last year uh, when he wasn't hurt. But look, the expectation—it's there. The roster—it's there. Now it's going to be up to the quarterback. And if the quarterback doesn't perform, even if he eclipses four thousand yards again, and even has a season like he had last year, where he throws for twenty-seven touchdowns and nine interceptions, if the record isn't good, if you don't have at least ten wins going into this next uh, going into next season. It's going to be bye-bye for Derek Carr. It is. And I like Carr. I mean, I, I always like Carr. Is he, you know, in, back in 2014, you remember that? In the Week 4 preseason, when he went up against the Seahawks and he threw three touchdowns. It's like, all right, bring that dude in. I can't remember which Matt he was coming in for. I don't remember whether it was Matty Mayhem McGloin or Matt Flynn, whoever it was back in 2014. It was, it was a mess back then. But look, I like Carr. I like his attitude. I think he's a good dude. But this last season, it's going to be make or break for him uh, with uh, with the Raiders. From the five one zero, let's see how good Adams is without Rogers this year. I believe Rogers is going to play. That's just me personally. I think Rogers is going to play. Not a lot of people do. You know, I mean it, it, but, but it's just all talk to me. You know, Rogers loves football in the end, and I think that he can set aside these issues that he's having with the organization. And just do what he has to do on the field and prove them wrong yet again. Yet again. And for the 6'50, who would be the quarterback? Good question. Good question. You could easily trade him too. You know, uh, you, you, you never know what could happen in these situations. You never know. But I do think it's going to be a make or break thing, and they could just figure it out from there. Because Gruden. I mean I could type in isgrudengoneyet.com and figure it out. Hang on, let me open that up actually. isgrudengoneyet.com. It's great. This is a little uh, uh, counter that someone put up as soon as as soon as uh, as soon as he got hired. He still got 6 years, 27 weeks, 7 hours, 8 minutes and 3 seconds left on his deal. <laughs> he still owed 65 million dollars just about John Gruden is. And I don't think he's going to do that by trying to sign Derek Carr yet again to try and compete with the Chiefs. To try and compete with the Chiefs. I don't think he's going to want to sign maybe a younger free agent quarterback who has a little more upside. All right. want to transition here because Bob Myers was on the Athletic NBA show. I want to transition to some Warriors talk because I think that there's a lot that's getting lost within the trade discussion to me. Um, and that is the fact that these other teams they're also looking to get better too and and and, and i'm sorry i'm i'm going to i'm going to apologize to any of the fans on the front end who are preaching patience with this team you're giving yourselves a lot of credit, all <laughs> right. During the season, if things aren't going your way, you're gonna be looking at the season, looking at what they did in the off season. If they don't make any moves, and and you'd think what they didn't trade any pieces to try and get another guy to help Steph and Dre. I do think that could happen, but on the other side, I do think that these young players can be damn good. I'm excited to see what Wiseman does next year, but I do think one thing people forget about whenever these trade discussions come up is that other teams get better. <laughs> you know, it's not just the Warriors who are trying to improve. Every other team is trying to improve going forward and they got a lot of young good teams within the Western uh, within the Western Conference, but Bob Myers, he spoke about The pace of the league and how it makes keeping a team together that much harder.
1: The fluidity and speed and pace of the league has never been faster. So in the way of planning, in the way of strategizing, in the way of keeping a group together, it's harder than ever because even societally, we lack this patience. Steve Kerr, I'll tell you, that this sums it up. Steve Kerr is the third longest tenured coach in the league right now. Right. Seven years. That is not that long. And he's won three championships. So it tells you the speed with which we expect success and at the speed with which players, owners, GMs expect things to be good. And when they're not, we we change. And so keeping something together psychologically, to me, is as hard as it is financially.
2: So... We know the finances, right? We've heard it time and time again. The Warriors are in the luxury tax. They'll have to pay, you know, quadruple the amount of what a player would originally be worth if they're that much into the luxury tax. They'd be paying $800 billion if you sign this one player. We've, we've heard all that before, right? But listening to Myers and, you know, Kerr and everybody after the season's been over, it has felt like they've wanted to be patient it it, it doesn't feel like um they want to trade for a big name specifically because of the finances like when when joe lakob joined the tim kawakami podcast the tk show and he was saying look we don't have the money right now we're not just going to go out and sign a big free agent because we don't have that much money there is a cap that's involved with this and I equated it to a parent at Disneyland when a kid just keeps asking for more and more stuff. And it's like, yo, this is the last day that we're here at Disneyland. I've already paid for a ton. I've already gone past my limit. I don't want to spend anymore. That's what it felt like with Joe, with Joe Lacob. But hearing Bob Myers say that yesterday, that changed my tune a little bit. That changed my tune. Hearing him say the pace is moving as fast as ever, well... You got a few years left with Draymond's contract. Clay's contract, unfortunately, ever since he's been given that max contract, he hasn't played. So you only got a couple of years left on that deal, and who knows what's going to be happening with Clay Thompson next season? And then you want to give Steph the max too, but Draymond and Clay—I don't know if you're going to want to give them another contract. So I'd be very interested to see what they do. I do think they're going to stick with the 7th and the 14th pick. I don't know if they're going to package that uh, in a deal to try and pick up any other players. And it might not be this year, but next season could see some moves being made. Not It doesn't have to be this year. It doesn't have to be this year. We're always focused on this year because that's what's ahead of us, right? We're always focused on the season ahead. I don't think there could be a move made this season, but next season, after next season, hearing Bob Myers say that, I think there could be some moves made, but Bob Myers continued. And he mentioned this with Steph, Clay, Andre getting back together and the confidence that they can have to get back to where they want to be.
1: I think those three, I want to see those three. We still haven't seen them put it back, get back on the floor together. And it's not nostalgic. Marcus, it's actually a belief that they can win. I believe that. Our ownership believes that. Our coach believes that. So it's real. It's not like a charity thing where, hey, those guys won championships. Let's just let them try again. It's not that. It's an actual belief.
2: I, and, and they do. I, I truly believe, especially after Tony Allen joined the morning roast earlier this season when the Warriors were playing the Memphis Grizzlies. And Tony Allen said he is never going to count out the Warriors as long as Steph, Clay, and Draymond are on the court at the same time because those guys are champions, and they know what it takes. And I do believe that. I do believe that. But if you want to win with them, maybe not next season, but the season after that, and you want to get to the playoffs and you want to go deep into the playoffs, you're going to have to put some pieces around them as their ages start to get higher. As they start to get older. But Bob Myers continued, and this is the last one that I want to play for you. And he mentions this, and this is what we're all thinking but it is hard to evaluate this team without clay thompson the
1: hardest one was clay's injury because i think the best thing we did as an organization when we were succeeding was we built a something that complemented each other it was clay complementing steph steph complementing draymond it draymond was a very reciprocal team and so not having clay made it hard to evaluate and answer your question obviously steph had the year he had uh, which was Unbelievable and well regarded and, and celebrated. And Draymond really turned it up in the last 20 something games, 25 games. But I don't think you're going to see the best version of Draymond or, or Steph without Clay and vice versa. So to me, it wasn't, I thought they couldn't do it. If that's, if that's kind of what you're thinking and they proved me wrong, to be totally honest, it was more about the hardest part was I knew we weren't going to get the answer to the question because Clay was out as to how good we can be. And that I want the answer to that question. They want the answer to that question. I think it's going to be a good answer, but we haven't seen it yet because Clay hasn't been there.
2: And that's why I don't think there is going to be some sort of big trade this season until you see what they have on the floor with that team fully healthy. With that team fully healthy. And that's really where I'm at with the Warriors here. And from the 6 5 I've talked about Derek Carr a little bit today. I'd rather hear about the VAR or the WOBA than Derek Carr. <laughs> the VAR or the WOBA, man. I'll give you some FIP numbers later on. Just to close out the show, want to play this again one more time. Yankees radio play-by-play. John Sterling called a home run that wasn't a home run.
3: Here's Judge. Man, the breaking ball is hit in the air to deep left. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Unfortunately, that was a replay of the home run. But it was a good replay. (laughs) Hey, I'm sorry.